Coming live from Barrington Hills, Illinois, USA is our guest tonight. Welcome to this very special edition of the KJ Masterclass Live, the show which ensures that you profit from your time spent here with experts, either through the industry insights, information, or simply learning from them. And today we have Nick Espinosa, Chief Security Fanatic at Security Fanatics, a cybersecurity, cyber warfare outfit dedicated to designing customer custom cyber defense strategies for companies. Welcome to the show, Nick. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Same here. It's nice to have you, Nick, and especially, you know, as we move into 2023 and in a few days, the big concern is that a lot of people are worried about not just about their, you know, data security, but a lot of privacy issues are there and every and companies are worried about how this world will unfold as they move forward towards the new year. And, and the, during this time, I you wrote recently an article on Forbes about, you know, how the state of the security, cyber security works, workforce itself is. And if they are not in a great and fit and fine position, how can we expect them to be, you know, uh, actually taking care of the task that they have been entrusted with at several companies across the globe. So we'll be talking about that particular stuff, state of cybersecurity workforce. And you are the expert. We have written the article. And not only just we'll talk about other things, about the trends and predictions for the next year. So you say, uh, Nick, is that, you know, there is a problem with the state of cybersecurity for workforce. I will not put anything from my side. I would like to hear exactly what are you trying to say about our cybersecurity workforce? Yeah, so, and one, thank you for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. And hello all to the audience. Uh, secondly, yeah, we have a huge problem in cybersecurity right now. And it is a two-pronged issue that, as I see it. Um, first things first, we do not have globally, whether it's you know in India or here in the United States, enough people that are working on training, all of that. According to the latest ISC2 report, we're down uh, over 3 million open positions right now in cybersecurity, meaning as cybersecurity, uh, you know, we, we, we have a hiring problem, we've got issues uh, staffing, but cyber attacks continue to grow. And so that is a huge problem that we've got. And obviously, uh, people that are just coming out of training uh, have no experience. You know, they are not veterans, if you will, in uh, cybersecurity. They're still learning, even though they're learning on the job uh, when they get the job. Uh, the problem, the other problem that we have is the veterans here as well, meaning those that have been in cybersecurity five or 10 or more years are starting to burn out. In surveys, as I mentioned in my article, uh, surveys are showing that there are many cybersecurity professionals, you know, over somewhere between a third into a half or so, are saying in the next couple of years, they just want to quit. They cannot keep up with the data breaches. There are constant attacks. Uh, you know, if you look at it, most enterprise organizations on average see over 10 thousand cyber alerts every single day against their infrastructure. These are the large corporations of the world. In fact, one of the largest companies in the world uh, sees uh, over 250 million threats against their infrastructure every single quarter, which is 1 billion threats a year. And so it's very hard right now for cyber teams to keep up because we're understaffed. And as much as we use things like AI and automation, we're just not keeping up with it and we can't hire. So it's 
it's been a real it's been a real big issue that we've got right now so what does it mean for us for corporations for companies as well as individuals uh, common man like me what does it mean that uh, we'll be in, as we move into the new year we will be very much insecure yeah well it it means a couple of different things um one that that you may not be as secure as you think you are uh because you don't have quite frankly enough humans that are actually working on cybersecurity for you whether they're looking for threat watching for threat all of that this also means that your costs are going to go up right now we have a a rather large um increase in salaries in cybersecurity because the demand for qualified professionals is so high like i personally i'm i own my own company and i also every single week i'm contacted by recruiters saying hey we'll pay you a lot of money if you'll go work for you know x company i mean this is it, it's very hard out there right now but it also means that we're going to be spending more on the the artificial intelligence and ai automation uh to try and basically fill that gap but at the end of the day uh it it is a very tough predicament and it's not just for corporations it's for governments as well you know the united nations did a survey a couple of years ago that said well 100% of all governments around the globe understand that they are under threat uh basically less than 50% actually have a plan let alone an implementation of cybersecurity you know for that it's you know it, it, it's a big problem that we've got right now uh just just everywhere everywhere india included okay okay so now let's talk about the problem you uh, you talk about cybersecurity personal uh you know burning out that that's that's the thing and you quoted the mimecast uh study yes uh, where it it is uh, it says that in the next 2 years around 1/3 1/3 of experienced cybersecurity professionals are seriously considering quitting in the next 2 years that's that's huge means that leaves us unprotected and you know and what what we are, what are the companies doing about it as you said the lot of you know people are connect trying to connect with you trying to hire you for their work but is that enough is it is it a thing that has just come up or was it was it there in the making even during before pre, uh, covid what is well, your assessment I, i mean so covid covid really focused a lens on cyber attack um i also happen to be the chief spokesperson for the covid-19 cyber threat coalition which was over 4000 cybersecurity volunteers in 24 time zones across the world there are 26 time zones in the world we had volunteers in 24 time zones looking at indicators of compromise or iocs every single day and it was absolutely crazy at the beginning of the pandemic because every cyber criminal on the planet i don't care where they were from were basically using covid-19 as the lore as the lens it was all it was the only thing we saw was oh and like so here in the united states when we started going through lockdowns at the beginning of the pandemic there were runs to the local stores on things like toilet paper right because people were panicking they didn't know what to do and so we started seeing websites pop up that say oh can't find toilet paper click here you know and so we were scrambling left and right to try to sift through this information to help protect hospitals and infrastructure and so it, it's been going on since before then in the sense that we have seen 
seeing year over year an increase in data breaches, an increase in ransomware. Uh, you know, this is uh, if we're looking at the 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 money and the wealth that has been extracted from the globe, uh, you know, everybody on the planet, you know, you in India, me here in the United States, we have collectively, our governments, our businesses have spent $1 trillion from 2017 to 2021. And the hackers, the criminals have taken over $6 trillion from us. It's a single largest wealth transfer in history, and it's not going away. It continues to get, you know, it continues to get worse. And with the advent of things like cryptocurrency and the obfuscation of funds, so it's very hard to track where the money is going, or it's, or it's getting easier now, but it's been hard to track where the money is going. Uh, you know, we just saw an explosion in this. And so you've got a lot of people that are essentially overworked. Our, our number one call here, for example, is oh my God, help, I've never worked with you, but the world is burning down, you know, what do we do? Like, you know, and, and that is, that is something that, that takes a lot out of the entire team, right? Because now we have to stop everything. We've got to focus on this breach. We've got to contain it. And then, you know, you never know in 20 minutes, we might get the exact same call from somewhere else. And that has happened. And so, so if you think about it this way, you've got, instead of, you know, working a normal eight hour shift as an, as a, as a cybersecurity engineer, you're, you're starting to work 12 hours, 20 hours right through a data breach because that's what it requires, you know, in your company, you know, basically the we the gears of the economy stop for the company when when you have a cyber attack, which means the professionals can't stop until the company's back up and running. And so this is a huge problem that we have. And and also in that survey, I, I think as I mentioned as well, is you know a lot of CISOs or CISOs, chief information security officers, are feeling less and less. Um, you know, responsible for these data breaches. And they're not taking it personally because there's just, there's so many, they, they can't keep up. And so they just throw their hands up and say, what are we going to do? And so if we start losing those veterans, if we start losing, uh, you know, our, our, our core professionals, that's a huge problem. I've been in this field for 20 years. And I have to say, I have never been this busy in my entire life. Uh, you know, the last few years have just been absolutely insane with with cyber attacks and data breaches and and it's it's been unbelievable this is seriously 20 20 plus years and this is the craziest it's ever been right right nick now what is the main reason that we have come to this point because you see corporations companies who are spending so much of money they have got data of millions of people they have been entrusted with this uh, with this with the lives of those people they have not taken care of this particular stuff so that it has come to this level because everybody plans for this sort of a stuff that people mm. can leave people will come people will go and and they but the one thing that cannot go off your head is the data security the privacy and the data data of the people who have entrusted their whole life data is with you in one form or the other I, as an individual, can make a mistake, but can companies who have got the wherewithal, they have got the finances, they have missed out on this particular thing. Maybe not deliberately, but there has been uh, some sort of, you know, oversight from companies that we have come to this situation when we will feel less secure as we move into the new year. Yeah, well, and to that point, I, I think there's there's a couple of different uh responses to that why companies are, are are getting breached so quickly and i can look back in my 20 year career you know 20 plus years in this most people at the beginning of my career did not want to talk about all of the extra things they needed to do for cybersecurity. 
you know, oh, well, you know, our current existing defensive posture, it's not broken and nobody's hacking us. I'm not worried about it. And so there has been a level of complacency in technology that that we have seen year after year and even during the modern era you know you you would read in the news oh big company a or big company b just got hit and and you're thinking well i'm just a small shop you know wherever you are in the world and it's not going to happen to me but they're the ones that are oftentimes targeted the 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 most because they're easier to break into and so what usually happens in the situations like this is better defensive postures for a lot of organizations out there including governments I have to say, including the U.S. government, um, you know, which is not doing so good in cybersecurity either in some aspects, um, is basically have a reactive stance to that, meaning, oh, now I'm breached. Now I'll spend the money. So what we've started to see, um, you know, in the last couple of years is uh, more organizations becoming proactive for that. So our number one call is help. You know, we're breached. I've never worked with you. Our number two call is, yeah, I don't want to be that company. So what do I have to do to not be that company? And those calls are coming as well. And that's really good sign, but it's coming at a point where, again, we have problems staffing. You know, we have a very, very serious issue staffing. And I, I don't care where you are in the world in cybersecurity, you are needed. Um, and so I think that's the other side of this as well, is that is that what we have then are um, outfits that, let's say, do standard technology, like IT firms that, you know, will build the servers for you, you know, keep your printers running, all of that, now selling cybersecurity. But unfortunately, oftentimes it's low to mid-range cybersecurity, uh, and, and, and oftentimes it's not holistic. It's more data security, meaning it's the products, not the approach to risk management, which is one of the foundations of what cybersecurity is. And I think that's another issue that we have as well. And so if there are any business owners, you know, watching or listening to this right Right now, uh, I would really take a good hard look at the products that your IT company is selling you because odds are they're not on par with the products that cybersecurity outfits sell, uh, even though they're trying to compete with us. And that, that's another issue uh, that we've seen out there to the point where I actually have IT companies as clients that are learning and training on better products that they are then pushing to their clients for better defensive postures. So, it you know, it's we're all trying to help each other out here. I'm not knocking IT companies. I think IT companies are beyond needed. I'm married to IT companies. They're great. It's just a different discipline in the same way that I do not go to my foot doctor for brain surgery and I don't go to my brain surgeon for footwork. Right. We specialize. And that's that's the name of the game. That's what it is. Right. Right. If the problem is so deep and so immediate, then what is the way to fix it, Nick? How how soon can we fix it? How do we fix it? Is the is the say firing and all these uh, companies that have recently happened is that an opportunity for companies to hire the right talent from that lot? Right. Well, so companies have the opportunity to hire the right talent. The problem right now is that it's very hard to find the right talent. And so the way we are basically filling this gap right now, um, as we are spinning up education and universities across the world right now are spinning up cybersecurity um, courses and degrees in a way that we just haven't seen before. When I was coming up, there really was no cybersecurity course, you know, that you could take. Maybe one university had one, you know, and and so now we're seeing that response. But that what that does is get more people into the cybersecurity workforce. They just have no experience. And so the way we've been stopping the gap is essentially with our technology. We have been leveraging artificial intelligence. We have been leveraging it to to look at behavior for for threat detection 
connection, which is beyond important. We've been leveraging it to look through all of the massive amount of logging and output that that you know infrastructure gives. Every time you log in, a record is written. We now have artificial intelligence to look at that. So if I'm sitting here, you know, in Barrington Hills, just outside of Chicago, um, you know, and suddenly I'm logging in at three in the morning in Moscow, Russia, the AI says, "Well, wait a second. You know, Nick is not in Chicago. Nick is in Moscow." Nick shouldn't be in Moscow, you know, and then it'll cut me off. So, so we, we are leveraging these things, but there's only so much that the artificial intelligence can do. And the proof of that is uh, Facebook. If you look at Facebook, Facebook has a lot of problems with security, but they also have a lot of problems with disinformation worldwide. I don't care what country you're in, you know, you could be under the Biden government or the Modi government, and there's disinformation that gets into Facebook that we all see, and their artificial intelligence cannot keep up. And so, and so as we are looking holistically around the globe, the artificial intelligence that is helping cybersecurity, I think at the end of the day is naturally going to miss things uh, because we're the ones that have to innovate the cybersecurity. And if we don't have enough experienced veterans to do that, that's the problem that we've got right now. Right, right. So is there a window when we will be majorly insecure or not secured by uh, by uh, from the cyber attacks if it happens is there a time frame that you see when we should be more conscious about about our cyber defenses well we should already be conscious now um in the sense that 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 time is already here meaning i i can look at 10 different companies and two of them i could probably teach a elementary school how to break into <laughs> you know i could teach children how to break into them and there will be companies that are very heavily uh, defended because they've really been working on it over the years and everybody else is going to be in between and so that's that's happening right now and it really the impetus is on the organization or the corporation first things first is to understand the risk to the company meaning how many computers can be off for how long until it's so financially unviable for the company that you could go out of business right or what happens if your very sensitive data is stolen you know what happens if you're designing weapons for the military and those weapons designs are stolen by a foreign government what happens to to you as an organization if you can quantify those things then you start to put essentially an understanding of how much money you should be spending uh, on your defensive strategy you know you might be needing to spend you know a million dollars us maybe it's 20 million dollars us maybe it's 20,000 us you know, and and, and I, you know, I don't know the conversion rate to rupees. I apologize. But but you know what I'm talking about, right? As, as long as you can quantify that risk and understand exactly what you have to lose as a company, as an individual, whatever it is, then you act accordingly to defend that. Meaning now the budget is justified. The finances is justified to hire. And maybe you have to pay more. Maybe you buy more automation, whatever that is. But that time is now. There's no in the future. And as I'm looking at the future, I do think it's it's going to get worse out there. It really is because we've seen year over year, more and more organizations are getting hacked. More and more companies are showing up on leak sites, you know, and people are paying, you know, because they have to get their data back. So it's a it's a huge problem. Right. So let's talk about, you know, trends in cyber attack. Is there a particular trend that you see types of, you know, types of cyber attacks that can potentially happen? What are the things that, you know, big corporations, they still have some sort of, you know, manpower. But what about the smaller companies who have deployed all that technology into their firms? What should they do? They are not that much aware. And what about individuals who are dealing with these 
uh, firms, their data is with either the, some sort of a bank, some sort of a, another firm, even companies. Every company, almost all companies, they want all your data. But they don't know how to keep it safe. They don't have plans to actually keep it safe for the time that they want to keep that data with them. That is a very difficult situation for, uh, for individuals across the globe. How do they do that? At least what is it that they can do to prevent uh, any sure. sort of an attack on their data? Sure. So let, let me let me answer your first part first. Um, the two biggest scams that we still see are one, what we call BEC or business email compromise scams. Uh, okay. So for example, I'm able to take over, let's say, a mailbox in a company that Basically, uh, the person I take over has the ability to access finances or money for the company, and I'm able to move money out. Or I impersonate somebody that's an advisor to the company uh, in some way, or, or one of the executives in the company, and tell an underling to move money out to do whatever I want. That is making an enormous amount of money. Uh, this impersonation of executives, uh, this impersonation of advisors to to organizations that say, "Hell yes, you know, please please take the money and move it, you know, to wherever it is, um, you know, because the deal is done." So that's that's one of the big ones. The other big one that we are seeing right now um, and continuously is ransomware. But we are up to what is known as quadruple ransomware right now. And what that means is there are four levels to the extortion. The first one is they lock the files out in your network, you know, in your building, so you don't have access to it. The second level of extortion is they copy the files out before they do that and then hold you for ransom saying, I'm going to show the world all of your secret documents unless you pay us X amount of money. The third, the third level of extortion is they go through your documentation and see, oh, you're working with large corporations. Now we're going to go to them as well and ask for money because we, their sensitive data is in this data set that actually happened to Apple. So one of their makers of the MacBook in Taiwan got compromised and the attackers realized, oh, we have all of the schematics and designs for the MacBook. So they went to Apple and said, if you don't want the world to know how to build a MacBook, you know, you're going to send us a lot of money too. And then the fourth level of, of extortion is harassment, meaning they'll start knocking out your website. Um, they'll make malicious phone calls. They'll send malicious emails. They'll threaten you, uh, all this kind of stuff until you pay. And so, so that is essentially what we are seeing right now is business email compromise scams and, and ransomware. Now, to answer your other question uh, about this, one of the things that we talk about outside of risk when we're actually implementing security and they're like, Nick, what kind of firewall do I need? What kind of antivirus? The very first thing that we talk about is training the users, right? We have to be educated in this because all the defensive technologies, the firewalls, the threat detection systems in the world are layered there to protect you. But if you are the one that you know has that email that gets through all of those layers and you open that link or you believe it's your ceo asking you to move money now we have a problem and so training people is one of the biggest problems that we've got right now and a lot of corporations are simply relying on the infrastructure that an organization like mine will build or implement uh you know for you meaning we'll put in that firewall we'll put in that endpoint detection response we'll put in you know the the spam filter you know whatever you need but again, at the end of the day, if you're not training your people, it's one of the biggest mistakes 
that organizations make. And that's on the personal side as well. You know, even just in my personal life, I, I've, I've been talking about on stage as I as I talk in, to audiences worldwide um, is we need to build a global herd immunity for cybersecurity. I've been saying that since before the pandemic. Fortunately, now everybody knows what herd immunity is, so I don't have to explain that term. But but we are all interconnected like we are with a virus, right? In in our real life, like with COVID. So so by virtue of that, if 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 you and I are connected, we're emailing, you know, we might be using Microsoft Teams together. And so if I'm compromised, uh, because I don't know better. I'm sending you emails. You think it's me. You're opening things. So if we're all protected and we're all educated, our parents, our children, our coworkers, our, our spouses, then, then we are much better off. Much better off. Okay. Okay. So you dream of a world where we are all connected and, you know, uh, where uh, where cybersecurity sort of a thing is, is also part of the herd immunity uh, in terms of our protection but do you think it's a it's a one world now because in, in in a country like china they use their own sort of systems and all that stuff uh, and you know like weibo and also so many other things does it work will it work that way or it, who are these hackers where even these guys will be also part of that system where where do these hackers come from are they uh, are they sitting in the us right next to you or is, are they around india how does it work? Will it work? What are the simple ways that an individual as of today can protect himself or herself? Should we start, you know, leaving our computers or is it just a simple antivirus is enough for an individual user? Is there a better way we can secure ourselves apart from, you know, even mails can be very confusing. Uh, they, they, there, is a, there is a certain amount of sophistication uh, by uh, uh, with the emails that hackers, you know, keep on sending to uh, to potential targets. How yeah. does it work, Nick? Tell us something that we can do actually on the ground. Right. Well, uh, first things first, I mean, we're, we're already interconnected. I am talking to you live in the United States and you're in India. Uh, you know, we're, we are literally on opposite sides of the planet. And here we are, like you could be next door to me, right? So understand that we all are are all interconnected. Now China's a, a unique um, a unique story in the sense that I also wrote an article for Forbes back in 2018 about this, about what the internet will look like in 2028 as we see a bifurcation as China decides to basically isolate themselves, create their own more authoritarian surveillance level internet, and they are giving this to the countries that are in their Belt and Road Initiative. And I understand, you know, China's arrival, not just of the United States, but also of India as well. So, you know, we're, we're very good allies, but China is a is a sore spot, I think, for both of our countries, uh, you know, in that in that vein. Um, so so that is one thing to consider. But at the moment, we're all interconnected in the sense that I have clients in China, you know, and and by virtue of that, I can talk to them just like I'm talking to you, you know, and, and so so we're all interconnected right now. And I think that's the the important thing to, to understand. But if we are looking at, um, you know, defending ourselves, uh, we have a couple of different things that we have to we have to understand. One, there are going to be scammers there are going to be criminals that are going to try and, and get us infected, steal our money, you know, whatever it is that they're going to do at the personal level, not just at the corporate level as well. <clears throat> but we also have to understand that that we have another side of this, which is the privacy side of this, the Facebooks of the world, the social medias of right. the world, everything that we do, they can see, they are reading, they are they are selling it to advertisers to to basically make money. 
that's what it is. So if you and I are on Facebook, for example, talking in Messenger about, you know, the great new Mercedes car, both of us are going to start getting advertisements for Mercedes cars, right? I mean, that's, that's just how this works. Um, and, and so understanding that, that we have to have a level of privacy in ourselves and understand what these companies are doing really comes down to education, really comes down to awareness. Um, my second TED Talk was called The Five Laws of Cybersecurity, uh, and it was designed basically for the world to understand uh, very basic non-technical language on how to um, approach any situation, right? That, that, that if there's a vulnerability, it will be exploited, that we trust when we shouldn't, that we have to create a filter of distrust in our technological lives. We need trust in, in society, right? We see what happens when two political parties don't trust each other and society breaks down, especially here in the United States in the last few years. We've seen that, um, but we need to be able to trust, you know, our spouses, our parents, our kids to some extent, because kids lie. But but we have to create a we have to create a filter of distrust around the technological environment. Meaning, is it you that's actually connecting to me on LinkedIn or Facebook or you know whatever it is? You know, I need to verify that. Is it really my long lost uncle I haven't seen or you know my auntie <laughs> I haven't seen in years? I need to verify that, right? Or is it somebody that just knows? very easily how to how to break into my life. These are things that we have to do. And so we can buy antivirus, uh, you know, out there, there's there are great ones, we we've evolved from traditional antivirus into what is known as EDR, or endpoint detection response systems um, that leverages artificial intelligence, it's much better at, at catching things like viruses. But at the end of the day, it's us opening that link, clicking that email, believing that that the person talking to us actually is somebody we know or somebody we want to do business with. And we see people fall for that all the time because they're not educated on these kinds of things. Like, so for example, I post nothing about my personal life. I have a public presence here in the United States. Like I said, I've got, as you mentioned, I have a nationally syndicated radio show here in the USA. Uh, you know, I post nothing about my personal life. You know, I could be married, I could be not. I could have 10 kids, I could have zero. You will never see me talk about that. You will never see me put that online. And that is because I, I'm avoiding phishing scams. I'm avoiding, you know, potential people that, that you know, will, will try and contact me. And I get contacted constantly. A lot of people call me an idiot. That's the beauty of the internet right now. <laughs> A lot of people agree with me. You know, you never know, right? You get everybody. But, but we have to understand these things. And we really have to make sure that, that we are taking care as we are going online and whatever we're doing. Right. Right, Nick. You are the president of the foundation for a human internet. Yes. And when we talk about human, uh, when we talk about humans, then we also talk about their right to privacy, their right to live dignified in a dignified manner. In that sense, as consumers, is there anything that we can demand companies from companies to keep our data better and much more safer? How does yes. it work? What can we do? as individual consumers or customers. Right. So so the number one thing that we honest, honestly, the best thing that we can do living in democracies is vote and vote for those people that have platforms on regulating these companies. So if you look at what the European Union is doing with their GDPR, uh, for example, if you're an EU citizen, like if I'm a citizen of Germany, I'm an EU citizen, uh, for example, I now have rights worldwide wherever my data is that you as a as an online platform have to adhere to. And so Facebook sitting in the United States has to comply with that, even though it's a US company. 
And so we are starting to see laws uh, based on privacy really start to ramp up in governments around the world as well. I know there was also a recent case, I cannot remember the, the logistics of it, um, uh, in India about that as well, about, about privacy as well under the Modi government, uh, you know, with Facebook and Twitter and all of that. You know, the foundation for a human internet um, is part of uh, what is known as human ID. And we are fighting against things like bot traffic, meaning when you're using like Twitter or Facebook, you have these automated accounts that, that are not real, but they're driving traffic or getting influence because the Twitter AI sees it and prioritizes it. And we see a lot of governments um, use that for intelligence operations to spread disinformation misinformation and so we believe that if you are on 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 online uh, you know the foundation believes that if you're online one you have the right to be anonymous but you have basically to be a human and so you can be anonymous you do not have to give your name and that's the whole technology behind human ID is that I can have an anonymous anonymous but verified human ID that I could use on a Twitter platform or, or another platform like that. And so they don't know my information, they don't have my info, but I can still use it freely, uh, you know? And so we're very big on things like free speech, you know, that kind of stuff. So you can, you know, you can love me or hate me and that's perfectly fine for you to say, right? And, and you know, just please be civil. That would be nice because <laughs> uh, I, I do think online platforms like Twitter is where civility goes to die. But, but that's essentially what we're working on right now. Right. Freedom of speech is such an essential part of that. And we, we in India also, has a, it's, a, it's a fundamental right for us. And, you know, right. courts also try to protect it as much as possible, even during tough times. So that's why. Right. So we, we, we all know what it means being from the largest democracy as well as the biggest democracies of the world. So it's, right. uh, we, we can understand. And I hope the whole, whole humankind has that sort of a advantage with them that they can talk freely share freely express freely right. and live freely now Agreed. talking about talking about your company cyber you know security fanatics do tell us about that what exactly it is all about what do you do you protect companies you do so much of them but what exactly you do how do you do and who is it for who can connect with you for their work yeah yeah so we we work worldwide um, you know, we we work with any company around the globe. As I mentioned, I even have U.S. companies based in China that that you know we work with. But uh, we'll, we're more than happy to work with anybody um, in that sense. But typically, uh, we do all things cybersecurity, cyber warfare, cyber terrorism, infrastructure, uh, government compliance, and that's various governments across the world because not just the U.S. Um, but that's that's what we do. So if there are companies out there in India that that need support and help or just advice on cybersecurity, we're more than happy to, to help with that as well. Um, but yeah, we, we've worked with some really interesting outfits in the past. Uh, right now, one of our most interesting things, it's on hold right now, but we're hoping to be working with the United Nations ITU soon on developing cyber defense strategies for developing countries. Um, those that don't have many cybersecurity professionals in the world, uh, in, in the government, but but obviously need, need to basically uh, secure themselves. You know, the governments are running societies. If the governments get hacked and services are shut down, it's a very serious problem for that population. And so, yeah, so we, we run the gamut. We work with Fortune 100 all the way down. Anybody that's got a need for cybersecurity, we're more than happy to we're more than happy to help. And how do they connect? What is the best way to know more about you to connect with you? 
Sure, sure. So you can you can follow me on uh, uh, you know like Facebook and Twitter at Nick A E S P. That's Nick A E S P. You can connect to me on LinkedIn at slash Nick Espinoza. The name you see right here, no spaces. Uh, same with YouTube as well. Feel free to watch my videos. I've interviewed some really interesting people, uh, you know, for my radio show and, and all of that. And you can catch all of my old radio shows on my SoundCloud account as well at, at Nick Espinoza. So so yeah. So please feel free to follow me. Connect. Come say hi. Right. Right. My last question to you, uh, Nick, is that uh, as an individual, what is it that, you know, should I become a hermit? Should I stop, you know, uh, using anything that is being presented to me? How do I make a good choice as an individual? Second right. thing is, in India, there are a lot of cybersecurity firms and there are a lot across the world. Smaller firms are also aware about cybersecurity. They are they hire cybersecurity firms. And everybody, when they pitch, they come out as experts. So two things. As an individual, how can I still not be a hermit and still <laughs> avoid using things that I should or I can? Second thing is, how do uh, firms who are hiring cybersecurity firms hire the right ones, what questions they should ask, how do they land up with the right firm and not with the with fresh problems of their own. Right. So it, it's interesting here. Um, and, and I'm going to go off on a little bit of a tangent for 20 seconds here, but I have a joke. I get that question a lot, especially when I'm traveling around, but specifically in the United States, when I'm traveling, I get the question of, should I just give up all technology? And the, my response is, there's no going Amish on my watch. The Amish here in the United States live like it is like 1692. There's no electricity, horse and buggy, you know, they're very religious, you know, and, and my answer is no, we are not going Amish. We're not going to be hermits, you know, with this. We have to, we can love technology. We can embrace technology. I have every stupid gadget you can possibly think of, you know, but in, for, for me, it's more to try to break into it. But all we have to do is marry our technology with cybersecurity and awareness, meaning we understand the potential risks of using the technology and we balance that risk with with how we use it. And so and so, yes, I, I bank online. I have I have the banking app on my phone for my bank that I use here in the United States. And I will continue to do that. But my phone is encrypted. It's protected. I have a lot of things around it. I have multi-factor authentication enabled for those kinds of things. And so even if you were to steal my phone, you wouldn't be able to access the actual app for the bank, let alone know the password. You know, so so understand that we can use all the technology we want. We just have to be aware of the vulnerability that it can bring into our lives and act accordingly. And, and that's it. So love technology, embrace technology, all of that. Now to your second question of, you know, what's the best firm for my business? I will, I will tell you what I tell all of my audiences when they ask me, how do I pick the right IT company? How do I pick the right cybersecurity firm? <clears throat> the, the answer, honestly, all of them are going to say a lot of the same things. We'll protect you. We'll keep you secure. We will respond to any emergency within five minutes, you know, those kinds of things. But the proof really uh, of, of what shows their maturity, their training level, uh, their depth of how they are training their people, honestly, is in their products. 
meaning if they are using low to mid range, more basic products, well, they know probably to the penny how much they're going to they're going to make on that. You know what I mean? Like they'll know to the rupee how much they're going to make. And, and they don't have to train people because their current staff can train the new incoming people. So they don't have to spend any money whatsoever to, to train. And that is one of those things. So if you have an organization that is using enterprise level technology, meaning I can walk into a Fortune 100 company and see that exact same firewall or other products, then I know that my, let's say, small to medium sized business I can, I, the one, those products are affordable, but two, if, if they're being sold to me, I'm now defended very similarly to how a Fortune 100 company is defended. Those are the companies that are investing time, training, energy into things like, uh, you know, into training, into better improvement on products. Here in Security Fanatics, we vet our products every 90 days. Every 90 days, we look at everything from firewalls to threat detection systems to password managers, you name it. We are vetting everything. We are not like married or attached to anything. The firewall I use now might not be the firewall I use in a year if something better comes along. And that's the way it needs to be as opposed to a firm that says, oh, I've used the same as an example firewall for the last five years. Well, maybe three years ago, you should have switched. You know, and, and and those are things that we have to maintain vigilance on. There is no such thing as complacency in cybersecurity. And when you see complacency in cybersecurity, that's when you fail. And so I think that's a huge lesson for, for everybody as well. Right, right. And, you know, with so much of technology coming in, uh, we are taking all these small devices to even our bedrooms, like our phones. It right. listens everything. Right. It, it, and when it listens... It, it's almost getting recorded somewhere in, in, in this whole universe, cyber universe. Second thing is we have devices like Alexa and all that stuff. Wherever we are going, even within our, within our own house, you have got these devices everywhere. How to live amidst these devices? Or is it that we don't use these devices? How do we live a life with technology but without threats? That's my right. Aspect. Right. So, so for the record, I I don't use smart devices outside of a mobile phone. Um, I do not have Amazon Alexas or Echoes or or anything like that in my house, uh, specifically because I know that anything with a microphone and a camera could potentially listen. I'm not saying some criminal is hacked in to turn on my camera. I'm saying Amazon literally can listen. You know, and what these things can record is is pretty pretty impressive so understand that if you're going to use these things you have to balance that as long as you're aware that this could record anything and it's sitting for example in your kitchen right and so you're talking with your family as you're preparing meals it could potentially record that conversation it's the same if you have a amazon echo in your bedroom it can record whatever goes on in your bedroom right <laughs> so so these right. are things that you know we have to be aware of and so making sure that that, that you are taking the proper precautions, you know, so for example, let's say you're going to have a very deeply personal conversation with your spouse about anything, whatever it is, you can always unplug it, you know, and plug it right back in, you know, take the time to, to learn that, you know, some of my clients that refuse to get rid of this stuff, will put them on switches, like meaning like remote switches, they can press a button, and it cuts the power, you know, and they can 
press another button and turns the power back on and fires the unit back up. And so, so you can, you can do these kinds of things. Um, but me personally, I understand just the vulnerabilities that this also brings sitting on the same network as my computer or my tablet or my laptop or whatever it is that if I can compromise one of these IOT devices, I can potentially, you know, use that to leverage to get into a computer, you know, and when we're hacking in the companies that pay us to do that, oftentimes we're breaking into the IOT. We literally compromised a, a, a network through a light switch. They had a smart light switch and we were able to compromise it and actually exfiltrate data, remove data from their network through their light switch, you know? Right. Like you don't think about these things, but but these are possible. So be be aware. Again, we're not turning into hermits, but make sure that you are taking good precautions with the things that you are using. Right. Absolutely. What I understand, Nick, is that we got to be smarter than the smartphones and all the smart devices. That's the only way to live, perhaps, in today's Exactly. Day. Exactly. Very good way to put it. With this, it's a wrap on this very special edition of the KJ Masterclass Live. Thank you so much, Nick for joining on this show. Thanks for having me.